0: Wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson.
1: Welcome. You can find links to our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at bleedingdaylight.net as well as many more conversations with people kicking against the darkness. We all face pressures and expectations, but what happens when the expectations of others drive us into a life that threatens to destroy us. That's where today's guest found herself. I'll introduce you in just a moment. Growing up as a pastor's daughter, Ruth Hovsepian felt constant pressure to perform and meet expectations. That pressure took a massive toll on her life. These days, Ruth is a two-time author who helps others face the challenges in their lives. Her podcast, Out of the Darkness, tackles a variety of topics with guests who have faced addictions and struggles. I'm so pleased that she's joining us on Bleeding Daylight today. Ruth, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. I mentioned that you felt pressure being the daughter of a pastor, but there was actually generations of pressure, wasn't there?
0: There was. My grandparents were also involved in the church. They, my aunts, my uncles. It goes back, you know, everybody had a part in it. There was that pressure of meeting the expectations of everyone who was involved in some way, shape, or form. And
1: I suppose there was the pressure at church as well that all the eyes were watching the, the pastor's kid.
0: Actually, I became a pastor's kid in my early teens or mid teens, but my dad had always been involved in the church as well. He had been an elder at the church. Mom always played the organ as far back as I could remember. So there was that pressure, you know, in your teens when your dad becomes a pastor and suddenly you're being looked at in a very different way and people have these expectations of you.
1: And I suppose right at that time when you're a teenager, you're trying to work out who you are as separate from mum and dad and what life is going to look like. So that would have made it even more complicated, I guess.
0: It was complicated. Also, I I grew up in a very conservative home, not just a faith-based and Christian home, but a very conservative home. So it was hard to find, you know, like we, we talk about it in society today, where find yourself, discover yourself. Well, coming from a European background, nobody was discovering themselves everybody was moving forward i am the first generation canadian my my parents are immigrants and they had come to make a better life for themselves and their family so we didn't discover ourselves and you know this isn't speaking ill of my parents or their generation it's just
1: what it was so it was a very loving home even though it was quite conservative it was a loving home that you grew up in wasn't it
0: 100%. There was never a doubt of love with my parents or my extended family. But there was the pressure to perform in a certain way. This, this is what they knew. You worked hard to achieve what you needed and did it in a timely way. What
1: were the early ways in which you started to veer off path, so to speak? I, I know that there was still a lot of those expectations and you fulfilled many of them but what were the early ways at that time as a teenager that you started to to veer off track a little?
0: I think as a teenager, for me, it was just questioning things, maybe looking at things a bit differently. Also, because culturally I was being raised in Canada and being exposed to different things. I just questioned. And thankfully, my in that way, my parents never stopped me. If anything, they would chuckle and, you know, say I was a rebel or a free thinker. But again, it was within the constraints of a family. It's only as I got older that I felt the restrictions tighten on me, not necessarily because of those around me, but because I felt that I didn't have a way to express myself or try things out. The faith of my parents were, were not my faith. I had come to the Lord at the age of 12 and, uh, you know, I had given my life over to him. But at 12, you do it in a different way. And today what I have is not what I had back then. I was living the faith of my parents. I wasn't living the faith of Ruth at that time.
1: And you're also living in two different cultures. You're living the culture of your parents and their heritage, as well as trying to fit in with Canadian culture, aren't you?
0: A hundred percent. And I'm very fortunate, I have to say, my parents adapted to the Canadian culture quite easily. My dad never spoke a word of English before coming to Canada. And he learned how to speak English on his own, and he speaks it very well. He preaches in English. He's written books in English. And at home, we spoke English and, you know, we went to an Anglophone church. So we were surrounded by a different culture. Therefore, we're adopting a lot of those cultural differences. And yet there was a big difference in the way we were raised. We were raised in the way that my parents had been back home.
1: I'm wanting to explore a little bit further along the track now because, as I mentioned, you continue to go along the path that maybe some people would expect you to. Tell me about that, and, and then we can look at where the wheel started to fall off for that.
0: As a teenager, I did everything that was expected of me and more. I was a teenager that really wanted to prove myself and Go beyond everyone's expectations. And I very quickly adapted to that. And at 17, I had a great job. I was in technology. I was working in pre computers with Macintoshes and IBM display writers and, you know, a whole other world there. But I did what I needed to show people that I was worthy of their love and respect. Until about, I would say, about 21, when I just started to feel this urge to step out of the world, that little bubble that I lived in and existed in, and I made a dramatic change. And you know, for many, it wasn't, but I decided to take a, a sabbatical from a very successful job and go to a Bible school, which was a one-year Bible school for lay people in the church. It really shook the foundation of our family. They didn't understand why I would leave a very successful job and go away for a year when I wasn't going into ministry. But for me, it wasn't a matter of going into ministry. It was a matter of stepping out of my parents' home and their rules and being on my own. And I think that was that first step. And after the school year, I came home but didn't stay very long because I had met my future husband at the school. I got a new job. And the job had an offering for me to go about seven hours away from Montreal to Toronto and work there. And that was the first time that I really went against what my parents' expectations were of me and what they thought was right or wrong for me. I got married very quickly after that under pressure from family to make things right. And as a Christian family and as Europeans. We don't date for long without getting married. That commitment that's when things started to fall apart for me because my marriage had issues within it, and I knew that I was in it for the long term. And if I fast forward about seven, eight years and three children, that's when things fell apart for me, and we went through a separation, a divorce. And now I found myself in a predicament. I had gone against people's wishes for my marriage, and now I was getting a divorce. That was unspeakable of in a very evangelical family. How can that be as a pastor's kid? That was even more damning for me. It caused a huge rift in the church. It caused a rift within the family. But you know, once something start rolling, when that wheel starts rolling, it just keeps going and picking up speed. And that's what happened. Three years after that separation, I found myself having ballooned and putting on about a hundred pounds or so. And something snapped within me at that point and said, what am I doing? I'm I'm just eating and, and feeding myself till, you know, I'm at this weight and I just couldn't look at myself. And very quickly, I was able to lose the weight. But with that came a whole other issue that I discovered. And that was, I started to play out like a teenager would, but this time in my 30s. One day, I got all dressed up, and the kids were with their father, and they were away, and I went out. And Montreal is a party town at night. It's, it's known as that, and people come from you know all over to enjoy the nightlife. And I don't know where that nerve or that strength came to step out of the house and walk into a bar alone for the first time in my life. And that was the first step of many where I rebelled and went against everything that I had been taught and seen in life.
1: And as you started to do that, I imagine there was a sense, a a false sense, but a a sense of finally I'm free. I'm free of all the baggage and free to to be involved in, in this very different life. How far did that supposed freedom take you?
0: You know, that's a great way of putting it. It was a false sense of freedom that I had at that point in my life. And I thought, wow, look at all the people that are gravitating to me. Look at me. I am worthy of all this attention. It was one step at a time. Each step that I took took me into a world that was really dark and full of depravity. I used alcohol as a way to numb my senses and to get rid of any inhibitions that I had, to quiet the voice. As someone you know who had been a believer, it was to quiet the Holy Spirit that was, hey, Ruth, don't do that. Ruth, step away. But I didn't that is where my addiction also to uh, to pornography came in and some people who are addicted to pornography will act out with sexual addiction as well i thought i was taking on this cloak of freedom but what i was taking on was this cloak of sexual immorality i found myself getting deeper and deeper into this world of alcohol and sex. And just like any addict, the first hit is very small. But by the time you get to your 10th and 15th and 100th hit, you need more, and more is not enough.
1: And how far did it actually go, and how many years were you trapped in these sorts of addictions?
0: I was trapped in that addiction for about 15 years and it went really, really far to the point where I knew I was risking my life because I would black out and find myself in situations that I did not know how I had gotten there or where I was or who I was with. Instead of stopping I pushed the envelope further. It's an amazing situation when you're an addict. It's not that you don't know that you're an addict and that you're playing with fire and you're testing every boundary possible. It's just that you don't care enough to stop. It becomes a very self-destructive way of life I remember one of the last times that I was out. I went to the bar as usual and talked to all the regulars there. But I met a couple of people and we were talking and we were doing shots. And whether the shot was laced with something or not, it doesn't matter. I had been drinking enough that I blacked out. I don't remember leaving the bar. I do remember waking up at some point in the early morning hours with people around me and just blacking out again for a while. And then coming to as I was leaving the hotel, not knowing where I was, what hotel, where in the city I was, and taking a cab and driving home thinking I was dying and not even remembering getting home. And then once again, coming to my senses at home. You know, I could have been a statistic, you know, woman found in a hotel room or, you know, woman found in a back alley. It just seemed looking back, I really didn't care. I had lost every hope in life. And the only way that I could feel anything was by taking chances and risks. You've already mentioned
1: that you had three children. So mm-hmm. you're courting these addictions for around 15 years, which is essentially their growing up time. They're growing up in a very different environment to that which you grew up in. What was their life like at that
0: stage? Thankfully, I don't know what it is that possessed me. I led two very separate lives, I had the life of a mom and a successful career woman, and I had the secret life of drinking and doing whatever it took to be happy, or, well, what I thought was happiness. So my kids were not involved in it. I did not drink at home. I never drank in front of anyone. Alcohol was not my drug. Sex was my drug. Alcohol was just a way to numb my senses so at home i never drank my children never saw that part of my life were never exposed to it they were not brought up in the same strict environment that i was but they definitely were not exposed to my life later on when i became sober i questioned my children about those years they do not have any recollection of any of it and they were much older when i became sober I don't know how I kept it from people. My parents knew there was something wrong, but not that I was a a sex and porn addict. They just thought I had walked away from the Lord and was living a very secular, sinful life.
1: So at the same time, you're living these two lives, and this is your supposed freedom. I imagine there would be a fear the whole time that these two worlds would collide, because there would be people that would know, the different roots that existed at that time was there a fear that somehow they would bleed into each other and you'd be found out
0: oh 100% no one in my nightlife knew that i was necessarily a mother of three children or that i very hypocritically went to church on sunday mornings with my children and sat in you know in the church pew and the church had no idea of what I was doing in my own personal time. They knew I had stepped away from everything during my divorce and part of that was not my own doing. The church very wisely at that time asking me to step away from things, but that was sort of something that pushed me off a little bit, you know, off the edge as well because I was now divorced, I was not worthy of anything. Now, you know, this this doesn't happen to Everybody that goes through a divorce in the church, but those of us that already have questioning hearts, that have doubts, that have not adopted the faith of their parents as a faith of their own to walk that faith, will go through this difficult, dark time. And that's what happened to me.
1: Well, as you've mentioned, you're already seeking that acceptance that you didn't seem to find at home, you didn't seem to find at church. When your marriage broke down, you had lost that acceptance within the family, within the church that you thought you might have had. So there's this consistent grasping when did it turn around you mentioned that moment when you realized that you had blacked out and and you could have been another statistic was that the real wake up call for you or how did it start to turn
0: around i had many of those and many times you know it, it, those blackouts or you know finding myself in very scary situations I would be praying to God or crying out to God because someone in that situation, I never felt worthy of prayer. I had stopped all of that, but I cried out to God, if you, if you get me out of this situation, if you get me home safely, if you don't, you know, help me not get sick this time, I promise I won't do it again only to turn around that night maybe and do it again, or that weekend and do it again. And this went on for several years, this back and forth, this fight with my inner self and my physical reaction to things, until in a totally different circumstance, I was let go of this amazing job that I had as a director of an IT company. That knocked me off my feet totally because this identity that I had, this other identity of a successful single mother with a great career making six figures, suddenly had nothing what was my identity? Was my identity a sex addict and, and porn addict? It, it, it wasn't possible. I, looking back, was God's hand in this. And I believe in the generational prayers of my parents, my grandparents, and family, seeing that I was floundering. I had no direction, the, not knowing what I was in, but continually praying for me when i got knocked off my high horse so to speak i didn't know what to do and i really started to to reevaluate things and I, I you know i i was an entrepreneur i i started different businesses tried to attain a measure of success again because that's what i thought i was being measured by but it never worked And about four or five years into that part of my journey, I was letting go of things. I also financially could not afford that lifestyle anymore. The more I isolated myself from those people I hung out with and those friends, I was taking steps closer towards God. And I would fall back and I would have another drink and then I would have another sexual encounter and then I would come to my knees. And of course, how do you pray? When in my heart and in my mind, I knew I was this dirty, sinful person, you know, full of this worldly darkness and evil. My first steps towards recovery and to God was falling on my knees and Not even being able to pray because I was so ashamed and had no way of putting into words what I was feeling. But it was tears that I was praying to God. And I would take two steps towards God and another step backwards. And I would take another, you know, two steps. And it took a while. I would say it was about five years that it took me to become. Uh, clean and sober. And it wasn't easy. I was ashamed. I had never shared with anyone this journey. But those were dark times as well, because how do you go back to your family and say, I have a problem. I have a problem with sex. This was a very difficult, very, I, I would say it was just as difficult as those years of addiction was those years of silence and not being able to share with people what had happened. And for many years, I had probably about a good six years of my sobriety journey before any of this came out.
1: And I imagine that it is an ongoing journey. But how did it start to feel for you when it began to dawn that God wasn't looking for you to perform, God wasn't looking for you to be completely clean, God wasn't looking for you to be completely sinless before he accepted you, and that while you were searching for this acceptance, the God who created the universe was waiting to accept
0: you. It took me to be silent. It took me to be quiet. It took me the time to get deeper into my relationship with God. And as my prayer life got stronger, and as my relationship with God and with my Savior got stronger and deeper and more intimate, I realized that I had misunderstood everything that I had thought was true. And the truth was that God wants you to step up to Him with those faults and with those questions and through him find validation and find answers to your questions and as that dawned on me i started to develop a, a ministry for for others for women and through that i you know pre covid and we know how that changed the world Pre-COVID, I had been scheduled to speak at a three events here in Montreal, and as COVID hit, those were canceled. But my preparations for those events were still in my hand, and one of those things that I had prepared was a, a resource for the women that would be at those events. And as I sat there during those COVID, early COVID months and, and wondered, Lord, why did You know, you give me these opportunities to share this prayer journey, only to take it away. And in hindsight, and looking back, God had a greater plan. The greater plan was that he put a seed into my heart that I should take that resource that I had developed and show it to someone. And that someone was my sister, who is a best-selling author. And when she looked at it, she said, "Ruth, you know, I think you could develop this into a book." I thought, "Well, I'm not an author. What? Who am I?" I felt <laughs> you could compare it to Moses. Lord, I don't. I, who am I? I cannot speak. I'm not a writer. I'm some IT, you know, minded person. And yet, my sister saw the value of what was there and sent it to her publicist. Her publicist thought there was value in there, and helped me develop something with that book. And that's how my first book, 100 Days of Prayer, became part memoir, part prayer guide and prayer journal. God worked through these women to speak to me and say, Ruth, it's time to tell your story. It's time to come out of hiding. It's time to put the shame away. Because I was living, you know, for a good five to six years with shame, with the shame of what I had done. And I would bring shame to my family. I would bring shame to the body of Christ. But when the book was put together, I had no choice but to come out with my story and to share it with my family and with my friends. And now, with my books and my platform that I've been given to speak, the story is out there.
1: And I imagine that that's starting to touch many other lives, even those who haven't been through the same sorts of things as you, but have also felt that shame, have felt that expectation to perform, and suddenly for them, they're starting to realize that that doesn't have to be the case How is it for you when you hear back from some of those women who have felt release from that expectation?
0: It's an amazing feeling because here you have, you know, I've been living with the shame for so long. And to suddenly see that God can take that past and turn it into something that will glorify Him, because you're right. Not everyone is starting the journey at the same place that I was, but we all have a journey. At some point in our lives, we're all trying to fill that void in our life. And that void is different for all of us, and we all fill it very differently. Some people will fill it with career. Some people will fill it with attaining fame and fortune. Some will fill it with exercise and family. It doesn't matter. We all are trying to do something and fill something with things that will not give us the satisfaction, will not fill the void and the emptiness. And I can speak to that. When I speak about it or write about it, my own journey is a testimony to those that it doesn't work. We need to fill our emptiness with Christ. I like to say that that void is not taken away or taken out of our life because we're humans. That's a feeling that we have. We all have. But that void is filled with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, with our Father in heaven. And that's how we attain Our validation and we fill the void and we achieve what we're looking for. I'm nowhere where I thought I would be at my age, but I am the happiest. I am filled with peace. Is my life perfect? By no means. I'm human. I struggle. You know, the closer you get to God, Satan tries to pull you away and will tempt you. And yet, I am the happiest that I've been in my life. I have the most peace in my life because I know I am where Christ wants me to be. I am where God has put me, and I am doing what I have been commissioned to do. What is my commission, the Great Commission? You know, Christ came and gave us the Great Commission. And as believers, we forget what that commission is. The commission is a very simple thing. Go and tell others. Go and tell others about this free gift of salvation.
1: Your life has been completely turned around. I know your podcast is full of stories of others who have had their lives turned around through faith in God, And I imagine that there's a number of people listening at the moment who would love to get hold of your books, would love to listen to that podcast. What's the easiest place for people to get hold of you?
0: My website, it's my name, it's com, and all the information is there, whether it's my podcast, my books, speaking, devotionals, um, it's all located within ruthhoffsupian.com. And I will put links in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net
1: so that people can find that easily. Ruth, we spoke earlier about that false freedom. I'm so glad that you have found true freedom and that freedom is in Christ. And I want to thank you so much for sharing some of your story today on Bleeding
0: Daylight. It is my honor and privilege to give the glory to God. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.